In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a life therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gold. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the big story of the day, and in fact, over the holiday when we were closed here in the U.S., was the pullback in the price of gold. Gold had gotten above 1260 on Thursday last week. It pulled back a little bit on Friday, but the real damage happened overnight on Monday while we were celebrating President's Day, where at one point gold was almost down about 50 bucks. It was trading even below 1190, I believe, on the lows. When we opened up for trading here in New York, gold had pulled back and it was back above 1210. It tried to rally, but really couldn't. In fact, the only time that gold rallied a bit today is when the Dow sold off to only up about plus 50 from up about 150. Uh, the stock market and the gold market are really the mirror image of each other right now. Gold tends to be trading off of stocks. If stocks are going down, gold is going up. And if stocks are going up, gold is going down. So that is the dynamic that is in play right now. Although ultimately, I do believe that stocks and gold and gold stocks will be going in the same direction because they'll all be responding positively to the Fed admitting that it's not going to raise interest rates. And in fact, cutting interest rates may be the negative and launching QE4. But right now, everybody still believes that rate hikes are coming. And so now it's really just gold being the safe haven from weak stocks. But I think the, the best environment 
is going to be when the government, when the Federal Reserve steps up to save stocks. And that's when the gold trade is really going to catch a bid. But when the market resumed and the Dow closed on the highs of the day, up over 200 points, that means gold closed on the low of the day. And in fact, gold, looking at GLD, which is the ETF uh, for gold that trades here in the U.S. So for today's decline, which included what would have happened overnight that it missed. So that's a good uh, metric to use. We were down 3.59, which is $35.90. That was a 3% decline in the price of gold. In the spot market, we closed right about 1200 even. So that was really the breakout. And now we've had a pullback to confirm that breakout. Now, Maybe this is the pullback that Dennis Gartman was waiting for, although we still haven't pulled back enough to be back to where we were when Dennis Gartman said that he was bullish on gold, but to wait for a pullback because we're higher now than we were then. So we potentially need a bigger pullback to get Dennis Gartman on board. We'll see. This might have been uh, the most of it. It also, it was a reversal Tuesday. Uh, so you tend to see a counter trend uh, move on a Tuesday, turnaround Tuesday, whatever you want to call it. But a very good point. You look at the gold stocks, one index in particular, the GDX, which is the market vectors, gold miners index. That index was down 8.65% today, 8.65%. So almost a 9% move down right, on a 3% move down in the price of gold. We never had an update in all the big gold updates where we had this $200 rally. We never had an update even come close to that. The biggest update we had was Thursday last week when the, when the gold stocks, gold rather, broke through 1,200. We went as high as, you know, to 1,260s. You know, huge day, biggest day up in gold since 2008. So biggest up move in eight years in one day in the price of gold. And gold stocks, that same index, the GDX, was only up 5% on a 4% move. The GLD, that same ETF, closed up 4%. And all we got was a 5% move in gold stocks. Barely, I mean, almost one to one, maybe like 1.2 to one. Yet on the downside, we get a 3% move down in gold and almost a 9% move down in the gold stocks, almost 3 to 1. Now, why don't you get 3 to 1 leverage on the upside? Why is it all on the downside? Well, here's a couple of reasons. One is there is still more fear in the gold market than greed. People are more worried that the market's going to crash and they want to cut and run. Right? So they're more anxious to get out, more nervous when gold is going down than when then they get excited when gold is going up. Now, this is a good sign of a bull market climbing a wall of worry because people are not believing in this rally. People that just got in are already bailing out because the minute they see the price of gold go down, they get scared. So the big moves are happening on the downside, not on the upside. I mean, yes, a 4% move up was pretty big. But I mean, a 5% move up rather, but not when gold is up 4%. I mean, we should have a 9% up move in the price of gold stocks when the price of gold is up 3%. Now, those days are going to come. I think they're going to come pretty soon, actually, as more people start to develop confidence in this very, very young new bull market. In fact, I don't think it's a new bull market. It's a resumption of the long-term secular bull market uh, that began uh, in 1999-2000, we had a 
cyclical bear market, but within a secular bull market. We had this multi-year correction, which I believe is over, but a lot of people still think we're in a bear market or at least want to pretend, case in point being Goldman Sachs. And Goldman's rhetoric may in part be responsible for the sharp sell-off. I mentioned on my podcast that I did last week that Goldman came out and said, uh, sell gold, that it was going to go back to 1,000. That was their year-end target. Well, on Monday, while we were all having a holiday, Goldman Sachs was out putting out their PR again, not only telling people to sell gold, but to short it, right? To sell it if you don't even have it. Goldman is saying gold is a great short, short gold, because they think it's going to 1,100 in the next few months. And by the end of the year, they think it's going to go to 1,000. And therefore, they're advising people to short it. Now, why would Goldman Sachs be telling people to short gold? First of all, think about gold as if it were a stock, right? And so gold is 1,200 an ounce. Just think of it like a $12 stock. Goldman thinks it's going to go to 10. So there's this $12 stock. And Goldman Sachs think that, thinks that this stock can go all the way down to 10. And they're telling people to short it. Why? I mean, what, for 20%? Why bother? That's the best they can come up with. Think of all the stocks that are getting killed. You know, there's a lot of stocks that are probably going to go bankrupt. Why doesn't Goldman tell people to short those? Why gold? I mean, gold's not going to zero, right? Even if it gets slaughtered, gold's never going to be worthless. There are plenty of companies right now that are going to be worthless. Short those. At least there you got a lot of upside. I mean, if, if Goldman is right and gold maybe can go to 1000 and you short it at 1200 okay, you make 20%. Big deal. What if gold goes up? What if it goes to 1500 What if it goes to 2000 I mean, why risk losing all that money to make a tiny bit of money? I mean, the risk-reward isn't there. And in fact, Goldman even says that they don't think there's going to be a recession, so they think the Fed's going to keep raising rates. They think the odds of a recession are only like 15 or 20%, something like that, right? Well, if they are... How much is gold going to go up? Gold's going to go a lot higher than 1000 If we're going into a recession this year, right, and Goldman says, well, there's a slim possibility, maybe 15 20% chance, maybe we'll have a recession, right? Well, if that happens and the Fed has to cut rates, which obviously they will do in a recession, and they launch QE4, what's going to happen to the price of gold? It's going to take off. It's going to skyrocket. How much would you lose if you shorted it at 1200 hoping to capture 20% down? Trying to get that little bit, right? Talk about trying to pick up pennies in front of a steamroller. Why would Goldman advise people to take so much risk for such a small amount of upside? The only thing that would make sense to me is that Goldman Sachs doesn't care about their clients. They care about themselves. They want the price of gold to go down. They want the price of gold stocks to go down. Why? Because they're probably already short. That's why. And they probably want to cover those short positions and maybe even initiate new long positions. Well, how are they going to do that? Takes two to Kango, right? Goldman needs sellers. So how do they flush out sellers? Talk about how low the price of gold is going to be. Put out a sell recommendation. Put out a short recommendation. Get people panicking and selling. And now they can quietly buy for their own account as they're encouraging their clients and everybody else's uh, to sell exactly what they're trying to buy. And this is pretty much par for the course when it comes to uh, how Goldman operates, which is why you've always got to take anything they say with a grain of salt. You know, instead of advising that people short gold, Goldman Sachs ought to recommend that people short Goldman Sachs. 
I mean, if Goldman Sachs would have performed as well as its namesake, I'm sure its shareholders would be a lot happier. Now, if you go back to October of 2007 to today, the price of Goldman Sachs shares is down by better than 40%. But during that same time period, the price of gold, including today's decline, is up by better than 50%. So it seems to me that Goldman is a much better short than gold. Of course, the one thing Goldman has going for it is government bailouts. Because who knows how low Goldman Sachs would be today had it not been for the 2008 bailouts. Maybe they would have gone bankrupt. Well, you know, it's still possible that Goldman can go bankrupt. But it's impossible for the same thing to happen to gold. Now, let's go to the economic numbers that came out today, which were predictably awful, as they typically are. We got the Empire State Manufacturing Survey. Now, I mean, these have been bad, right? I mean, these have been bad. We've had six consecutive monthly contractions in that index. I mean, unheard of, unless you're in a recession. And the last month was the worst of the six. We were down 19.37%. Horrible, horrible January. Now, the consensus was for a drop of 10, minus 10 for February. Still bad, right? Bad, but not nearly as bad as the horrible number from January. Well, what did we get? We got minus 16.64. Not quite as awful as January, but much worse than they thought. In fact, the range of expectations were from a high of minus 7.5, right? That was the best anybody thought, to as low as minus 16. We got minus 16.64. So we were even worse than the worst possible estimate of the entire range of consensus. So we got bad news that was even worse than the bad news that we expected. Markets didn't seem to care about that at all, right? Just kind of shrugged it off. We also got another indicator that came out today on the housing market. It was a housing market. It's a sentiment indicator for home builders. In the month of January, that number came out at 60, which had been softening. It was already down from a high of 64.2 in the fall of last year. So it had been trending down. And the consensus was for a slight uptick to 61. Instead, we went all the way down to 58. Now, that's the lowest number in nine months. So home builder confidence is going down. And, you know, they were attributing it to the cold weather that we had in in February. But, you know, we had warm weather in January. I mean, it takes that much. I mean, you get one uh, cold snap and all of a sudden all confidence just goes out the window. I mean, what is it? I mean, they were telling us that December and January were too warm for people to shop, right? And so the retailers did awful in December and January because it was too warm. And now, all of a sudden, it's too cold for the home builders to have any confidence to build homes. I mean, what We just can't catch a break, right? We're being totally victimized by the weather here. It's either too hot or too cold. It's never just right. You know, what we need is that new Goldilocks economy where the weather is just right. Otherwise, it provides a perfect excuse. You know, that reminds me of that old joke, uh, why did God create uh, economists, right, to make weathermen look good. Well, now our economists are weathermen or our bankers, and everything is being blamed on the weather, but nothing ever gets blamed on the Fed or the U.S. economy. You know, by the way, the Atlanta Fed now has upped its GDP forecast for the first quarter all the way up to 2.7, 
Why? When the quarter began, it was 1.2. I mean, we haven't had any good news. I mean, the retail sales numbers were pretty much in line with expectations that we got. Nothing really has beat estimates that would bear on this. I mean, the best we've done is come out in line with what people were expecting. We've had more numbers like the ones we got today that were not only bad, but much lower than had been expected. I can't see anything on which the Atlanta Fed is basing its newfound optimism on first quarter GDP. I mean, I don't know, what did, what, what did somebody take these guys behind the woodshed and get their mind right? I mean, maybe some people at the Fed, you know, went over to the Atlanta Fed and said, hey, what are you guys doing? What, what is all this negativity out there? We're out there talking about how great the economy is. You keep coming out with these low estimates. You got to get with the program. I mean, maybe that's what happened. Maybe, you know, maybe they schooled and got their mind right. Now, all of a sudden, they're so optimistic. But again, you know, the Atlanta Fed supposedly is basing this number on what the data is right now at this snapshot in time. So theoretically, they're not making a forecast as to what they think the data is going to be later in the month. They're just looking at the data that has already come out and somehow thinking that, well, the economy is going to be 2.7. Remember, they ended up at 0.7 for the fourth quarter. But when the Atlanta Fed first started estimating the first quarter earlier in the year, it had an estimate of like 2.5%. So it ratcheted it down. So even though it took that 1.2 up to this politically correct 2.7, my estimate is that we get as we get more data, like the data we got today, if the Atlanta Fed wants to maintain its credibility and its track record, it's going to have to start ratcheting down these numbers quickly pretty soon. Now, another thing about that Atlanta GDP now now that the Atlanta Fed is forecasting 2.7, everybody's talking about it. I mean, I turn on the television, I'm reading about it. Atlanta Fed, Atlanta Fed. I mean, where was everybody when the Atlanta Fed had a low estimate for the fourth quarter? Nobody talked about it. I mean, every time the Atlanta Fed would revise down their number, I'd search all of the internet and nobody would write about it. I mean, it'd be on zero hedge and it'd be no place else. Now, all of a sudden, everybody loves the Atlanta Fed. Everybody is pointing to this great uh, GDP forecast coming out of the Atlanta Fed. So clearly the spotlight is on now. It wasn't on back then. So it all looks coordinated to me. It all looks scripted. Hey, let's get the Atlanta Fed to start playing ball and coming up with some rosy forecasts. And now we can all point to these rosy forecasts as a reason to be optimistic when before, when they weren't on board, when they weren't a team player, everybody pretended that the Atlanta Fed didn't exist. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve and everybody else, for that matter, seems to want to pretend that the recovery is on track and maybe it's not going to be four rate hikes in 2016, but only three. And the first one is going to take place in June rather than March, even though the Fed hasn't officially admitted that. I think everybody else has already accepted that fact, which just means the Fed has that much more time to come up with an excuse why it doesn't raise interest rates in June. The only really question in my mind, and because remember, last year, I thought the Fed was bluffing the entire time when they talked about hiking rates, right? I thought that they would talk about it, but they wouldn't do it, especially when talking about it was working so well. Everybody believed the Fed was about to raise rates, so we had a strong dollar, uh, we had a strong stock market, because all the talk about raising rates created all this confidence in the economy, created confidence in the dollar, and I thought this is perfect. The Fed can have its cake and eat it too. It can get the benefit of a rate hike without suffering the consequences of a rate hike. 
the Fed can pretend the economy is strong enough and the market is strong enough to sustain a rate hike, but then not raise rates and prove that it wasn't, right? So I thought that they knew this and they were bluffing. And then they ended up raising rates anyway uh, by a quarter point. Now, were they initially bluffing? Did they never intend to raise rates? And then they kind of inadvertently backed themselves into a corner? Or did they think they were going to raise them eventually anyway? They just were trying to delay the inevitable as long as possible. I mean, we don't know. But again, I thought the Fed would have been smart enough not to press its luck because I knew that what they were doing from their perspective was working great. But I also knew the risk was if they raised rates and then the market started to tank and the economy went down, now they'd have egg all over their face. They'd be in this credibility box. But why would the Fed want to risk upsetting that apple cart? I mean, why risk raising rates when you can keep talking about raising them and not do it? Because then you can pretend everything will be fine when you raise rates. If you raise rates and it's not fine, you can't pretend anymore. Now, the Fed is still trying to pretend, even though everything is falling apart, but it's going to be a lot more difficult for the Fed to maintain that narrative, that illusion, when everything is crashing all around them. Now, what I'm trying to figure out now is, does the Fed actually believe that it's going to raise rates three times or whatever in 2016? Do they actually believe that? Are they dumb enough to think that that's going to happen? Or do they know it's not going to happen? Is that another bluff? Is that, okay, we raised rates once, and man, look at all the damage we got from that. We can't risk doing this again. And they want to go back to their old playbook. Because again, it worked great last year in 2015. Talking about raising rates but not raising them worked like a charm. Actually, raising rates was a disaster. Raising them again, from the Fed's perspective, will be an even bigger disaster. But the other problem is just pretending that they're going to raise rates again may be enough to collapse everything. Because before, when they were pretending to raise rates for the first time, but they hadn't actually done it, that was one thing. Pretending you're going to raise rates after you've already raised them, well, that's a higher level uh, for the market to try to digest, especially when you've already pricked the bubble. The air is already coming out. The technical damage has been done. The market is already tanking. Gold is broken out. So now you've, you've, let, you've let it out of the bag, right? You let that genie out of the bottle. You can't really put it back in again. So I don't think if the Fed thinks that they can, that they can do a repeat of 2015, like a 2.0, and just go back to the, you know, extended pretend, keep talking about how they might raise rates, but, you know, let it get pushed back from June to September to December, which is exactly the script that worked last year until they actually made the mistake of raising rates because they had the hubris to think they could do it because they thought the market was blessing the rate hike. And I said at the time that they were going to be burned badly if they if they took the small rally leading up to the hike as an all clear that the market would be okay with the hike. I knew it wouldn't be. And that's exactly what happened. So where are we now? Is, is the Fed going to try to do this or is the Fed going to come out and come clean and, and say something sooner rather than later to take the heat off this market and, I think, to take the heat off of the nominee of the president's party. You know, the, uh, the Democrats are going to have a tough time in the election, and Janet Yellen knows that, if we're in a recession. If Barack Obama can no longer uh, get away with claiming that he inherited a mess and cleaned it up, that, you know— all the problems are a hangover from the 2008 financial crisis, that any problem that's here 
is because it's leftover from that hangover. But every, other than that, everything is great because he's done a great job. And if you think I've done such a great job, then vote for Hillary and she'll just expand on my legacy. That dog won't hunt if before the 2016 elections, if the economy is in a bigger mess then than it was when Obama first took office. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth and Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.